This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the Redbox podcast i'm matt chorley packing my bags off to scotland at the weekend uh, do the stand-up show in edinburgh and glasgow on sunday monday night which means the radio show and therefore the podcast will be coming from Edinburgh on Monday and Glasgow on Tuesday and then I'll be in Exeter on uh, Friday of next week so uh, yeah get in touch if you want to say hello you can email me matt.chorley at times.radio if you're in any of those places and if you want to get tickets to come and see me live it's mattchorley.com right uh, coming up on the podcast today a bit of Friday fun I speak to Donald Trump Boris Johnson Theresa May Jeremy Corbyn and Tony Blair or at least their political lookalikes. Uh, who hires a, a lookalike? And how is it a profitable line of work? Uh, yeah, that's coming up on the podcast as well. It's very funny. If you want to actually see the uh, lookalikes, go to my Twitter account, at Matt Chorley, because uh, we put out a video of them so that you can see just how much or not they actually look like them. Uh, right, before that, though, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel, and on a Friday, it is Formel. It's James Forsyth and Melody Reid. Now, let's talk about, uh, I mean, actually what, sh- you know, really has, should be one of the big political stories of the week, uh, James. The um, uh, situation in Ukraine and this tension, I saw someone um, was saying this morning that, that actually this is a, an issue between Russia and the EU. And you've uh, written your column on this today, making the point. This, this, where America stands, and actually America might um, abandon uh, Europe altogether. Uh, what's your, what's your reading of the situation? So, I think that for America, Asia, and the competition with China is now the kind of primary theatre, and Europe is a secondary theatre. Now, I don't think we're seeing that fully yet because Joe Biden, by by kind of age and by temperament, is an Atlanticist. But I think the next president will be less interested in Europe, either in a kind of gradualist way, because they're just from a younger generation, they see competition in Asia as being more important, or because they're a kind of Trump-like figure who just, you know, is kind of almost outright hostile to NATO. Just look at how the very ambitious Republican Senator Josh Hawley has been attacking Biden for sending more troops to uh, Eastern Europe to try and reassure the US's NATO allies there. But, you know, there there is a US presence to, if, if Russia decides to kind of um, move from Ukraine to, to trying to predate on, on, on other countries in its near abroad. So I think that, you know, 
everyone in Europe is going to have to realise they're going to have to spend more on defence um, because you're going to have to have kind of you know the only way you're going to have stability is if you've got credible deterrence. If you can genuinely persuade Russia, it will pay a military and an economic price for this kind of behaviour. And I think one of the other complicating factors is you look at the the position of the three big powers in Europe. You know, um, Germany, France, and the UK on Ukraine. They are all subtly different. You know, the Germans are much more worried about um, punitive measures. You know, the, the, and their dependence on Russian gas is obviously an issue. The French are looking. You know, are, are more prepared to tolerate some kind of idea of a moratorium on Ukraine joining NATO. Uh, and and the the, U, uh, the UK is the most kind of out there in its in its position. So. But I think you know this has got to be something that these three big powers in Europe have got to work more closely together because you know relying on the US to basically provide the European security guarantee is not going to work in the future. I don't think. Uh, and what do you what do you make of sort of Britain's role in that? I mean, clearly, you know, being outside the EU means that we're not part of quite the same conversations. It doesn't seem very. I don't know what's the word, coordinated, what's been going, you know, you had uh, Emmanuel Macron going and sitting either end of that very long table. Uh, you, you know, you had Liz Trust in uh, Russia yesterday, you've got Ben Wallace there today. You know, diff- it doesn't seem like there is a, a coordinated West response, if you like. And you've got, you know, on the one hand, we've got, uh, we're saying, you know, there's still time for a dialogue. And then you've got Joe Biden trying to take people out of uh, saying to Americans who are in Ukraine, they should... They should get out. It doesn't feel like the the West knows what it's doing collectively. Yeah, and I think the the West needs to agree on uh, a set of sanctions that you know they can put on the table in advance and basically say to Russia, if you do this, this is going to be the consequence. I think one of the things that worries me is. I don't think Vladimir Putin is going to launch an outright invasion of Ukraine and kind of march on Kiev or anything like that, because I think he knows that that would demand a Western response. I think what he's going to do is something lower down the spectrum of options and then try and exploit divisions in the Western alliance about what to do. That, I think, is Putin's aim, because Putin, you, you know, as you said, you, you know, the Russians have already got two things out of this build-up of troops so far. One, they've already done substantial damage to the Ukrainian economy, because you know, if you mass over 100,000 troops on the border, you tend to see quite a lot of capital flight. Uh, and the second thing they've done is they have, as you, as you said, Matt, they have revealed the differences between Germany, France, the UK and the US on how to handle this situation. Melanie, what's your, your reading of it? How concerned are you? Concern, but you know, I have intense feeling that Putin's enjoying himself. He's wargaming. You know, it's like, do you remember if you, when you were kids, did you did you boys ever play Warhammer? You know, he, he, he <laughs> no, he, I didn't. But he, I know it. actually, I did very briefly. A neighbour, I think a neighbour had them. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got and you got some real nerds, some little boys who are real nerds at Warhammer. And you know, as James said in his column. Uh, the Russians spend three quarters of their energy and resources on security and foreign affairs. He sits in those dark nights and he just enjoys kind of planning strategy and 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 focus and guile and 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 how he's going to, you know, he he's he, it's it's a chess game and he's way way ahead of Europe. That's been so distracted by Brexit and and everything. And I. I think I think the West really has to to get together. And I, one of the things that worries me is that what you were talking about the the, the lack of cohesion. That, you know, I mean, UK doesn't really have a new role carved out within Europe in terms of foreign affairs, and uh, we probably need a better statesman with more international respect. Uh, in, in you know, it's 
who would you back in a game in you know in a game of Warhammer? Who would you back in terms of guile and focus and strategy? Would it be put? <laughs> Would it be Putin or would it be Johnson, you know? And I suppose that's the thing. Is that, like, If you look, I mean, off and on, he's been at the top of, you know, he first became Russian president uh, 22 years ago uh, yeah. with, you know, bits, bits and bobs in between when he was, you know, he was prime minister, then came back as president again. Um, and you compare that to, uh, you know, Boris Johnson's been prime minister for, what, two or three years. Emmanuel Macron is pretty green on the world stage still. President Biden has been around uh, for a long time, but he's only actually been president uh, for uh, a couple of years. He's just seen off so many other people. And you can just tell that smirk on his face. He's he's yeah. loving it, isn't he? Really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and James, where do you think this goes? Is there Because I suppose the problem is with from a from a West point of view, Boris Johnson's you know, he went to Brussels, then he went to Poland, then he came home again. I mean, clearly it's a nice distraction for him. Um, is there anything that Britain, Boris Johnson, could realistically do? And if you raise the stakes too high and it backfires, that's probably worse than doing nothing, isn't it? The, the big thing the UK can do is sanctions, and particularly sanctions on uh, Putin's allies and close associates. You know, they have a lot of money tied up in London or that travels through London. And, you know, that is where I think the UK has considerable leverage on Russia. I also think that the, 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 the West should be prepared to cut Russia off from the swift international banking system. You know, I think you need to be prepared to basically set up a series of sanctions that would properly cripple the Russian economy. Uh, I think another useful thing that could be done is that Germany could say that it would cancel Nord Stream 2. Uh, you know, the, this pipeline that brings Russian gas directly into Germany if that happens, I think we've got to we've got that with both Russia and China, the 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 free and democratic world has to has to reduce its dependence on these regimes because they will use any form of dependence as leverage. Right? There is a reason why Putin is looking at this winter uh, with uh, gas prices high, gas in short supply, as a potential moment that he will do something about Ukraine. Uh, and also the other significance is that because China is moving off coal onto gas, Russia now has an alternative market for its gas. You know, previously you could say, well, look, what, who is Russia going to sell this gas to if it doesn't sell it to the Europeans? And so that limits Russia's ability to use gas as a weapon. But you know, it now can use gas as a weapon because it can now sell this gas to, to China if it's not going to sell it to Europe. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, how, um... If you look at Emmanuel Macron's announcement yesterday that France is going to build forty nuclear power stations, you know that that is an actual act that is going to re- that, that is going to make Russia less of a threat to the West. You know, we've, everyone has got to do more. You know, build more nuclear power stations. Just reduce your dependence so that you yeah. have more freedom of action, and then and then it reduces the leverage. And actually, there was that amazing story yesterday about the um, this this new nuclear power where you can power you know with. A, Far more um, uh, nuclear home. fusion, fusion, yeah. fusion, fusion yeah. nuclear fusion. That's exactly the word I was fusion, fusion. Yeah. Yes. Uh, tell you what, let's move on um, because we are heading to to your neck of the woods, sort of, Melanie. I'm coming to Scotland, um, Edinburgh, and Glasgow, uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, um, and one of the things we're going to look at actually next week is this uh, the the, the nationalisation of the railways. Uh, which is happening uh, later on in the spring, but a particular idea that's, that's been discussed um, is is making is creating female only carriages on Scott Whale. What do you what do you make of that as an idea? Oh, it got my goat! It got my goat! I mean, <laughs> you, you, you're talking to an old feminist here. I mean, 
It's so regressive. It's so regressive. I mean, what, what, you know, we don't need sexual segregation. It's like, it's like Victorian times or something. You know, women are poor, shrinking little things that need protection. You know, it, it, it truly this enfeebles women. It disempowers them. I mean, what is it? So we can sit and talk about the menopause. I mean, it's just so maddening. You know, it, 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 it's like kind of the Taliban almost. I personally, my, to be serious, to be absolutely serious, drunks are a problem for everyone. And yeah. I mean, I, I had a, they're a problem for, for shy men who are traveling on their own. They're a problem for the elderly. They're just a problem for, for everyone. And I was the problem for the disabled. I was traveling to London once on the train and you can only go in a very limited number of places in a wheelchair. And I got trapped opposite this horrible drunk. It wasn't that I was a woman. I was just a captive audience. And he sort of leered and, and lecht and dribbled uh, drunkenness all over me. And I could not go anywhere. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's, we cannot, I, I think it is, it's, it, it doesn't work on any level. Um, it, it, you know, yeah, I I'm, I'm feel very strongly about it. Well, what do you think of it, James? I mean, I, I mean, I've been stuck on trains with uh, drunk people, and not felt, you know, it wasn't a huge amount of fun either. I couldn't agree more with what Melanie said. I think that you know the the problem is clearly these people who have been drunk and aggressive, and they they are who should be dealt with rather than rather than kind of segregating women off in in kind of female only carriages. It, it sounds like something out of Saudi Arabia rather than Scotland. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, to be fair to the Scottish government, it was an idea put to the transport minister. Uh, when she was talking about it uh, yesterday, and she's going to, um, she's vowed to, to to look at the problem and speak to women's groups. So it's not actually, but yeah. It's maybe, 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 maybe we could have nationalist free carriages. <laughs> <laughs> Melanie, I, that's definitely not an idea that I'm going to suggest when I come to Scotland. Uh, when I come to Scotland, <laughs> I can just. <laughs> Uh, yes, you could have. Yeah, maybe they could be like alternated. You know. Um, you, yeah. You, you yes, self, yes yeah, and no. Self, yeah, self-identity. You could self-identify as you get on. I'm a, or I'm a woman, or I'm a nationalist. You know. And then over time, we can sort of see is the you know the seats or the carpet being worn down, and then we'll be able to take the temperature of uh, of of Scotland. James Forsyth and Melanie Reid there, of course. You can read James in the Times every week on a Friday. Melanie in the Saturday magazine on a Saturday in the Times. Also, if you pick up a copy of the paper on a Saturday, you'll see my column in there as well. Uh, just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's Political Lookalikes. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now, let's speak to these guys. Yesterday I went, uh, as, as we all must, uh, 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 to, to Peppa Pig World. I was, well, it's, it's fact, I was a bit hazy what I would find at Peppa Pig World, uh, but I loved it. And Peppa Pig World is, is very much my kind of place. And I love all people, rich or poor, but... In those particular positions, I just don't want a poor person. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? <laughs> Nobody's ever perfectly behaved, are they? I mean, you know, I have to confess, when me and my friends sort of used to run through the fields of wheat, um, the farmers weren't too pleased about that. I'll have a bowl of porridge in the morning, and everybody should do that, and you have some sustenance during the day. Frankly, if, if, you, if you're not vaccinated at the moment, and you're, you're eligible, and you've got no health reason for not being vaccinated, you're not just irresponsible. I mean, you're an idiot. I want to be like you. I want to walk like you. Talk like you. Well, there was plenty, plenty of big names there in the political jungle. You could probably recognise them. Boris Johnson, Donald Trump, Jeremy Corbyn, Theresa May and Tony Blair. I'm joined by all of them now, sort of. <laughs> I'm joined by Andy Cronk, Guy Rose, Graham Dougal, Anne Gray and John Brolly, who all work as political lookalikes. And I'll be able to see you all on Zoom. I feel like I'm chairing the G20 or something here. Um, uh, where should we, where to start? Where to start? Let, so let's start with, uh, we'll work through the, the order we heard from them. Boris Johnson, a.k.a. Andy Cronk. Good morning. Uh, good morning to you, uh, uh, the nation that's listening this morning. Uh, now, that's, that's usually how I might introduce myself. Andy, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. You've got the uh, you've got the Union Jack behind you, which is very important if you're the Absolutely. Prime Minister. Absolutely. Now, Andy, for people, for, let me explain to people um, who can't obviously see you if they're listening on the radio. You've got a suit on, blue shirt, and a blonde wig. But beyond that. Um, your your similarities to Boris Johnson are not immediately obvious. No, no. Um, I'm more I'm more uh, an impersonator than a lookalike. So uh, I do stand up and I do um, uh, impersonations, and it's it's more it's more about the voice and and the gestures and you know get, getting out there and, and having some fun with the character. Okay, so and where do you go and do this? Um, I've, I've been invited to um, anything from uh, Tory member um, uh, parties. I've been invited to birthday parties. I've been invited to uh, a A-list Christmas party where I had to give up my phone, sign an NDA, and I can talk about it very little. 
Um, oh, well, in that case, what can you tell us? <laughs> um, well, I, I, I could say that I walked into the room and the first person I saw was a former prime minister. Um, and were I, they pleased to see you in the guise of Boris Johnson? No, absolutely not. He 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 blanked me um, by saying he. We know it's not true to me. Um, he blanked me and, and wouldn't engage in the in the comedy that I brought before him, uh, and and was uh, was was actually quite rude. But um, I then, oh, I Dave, then Dave, Dave, that doesn't sound like David Cameron at all. I'm not saying another word. Um, and um, I, I was then, uh, later on, I was dragged onto the dance floor by former Doctor Who. Um, I I got very uh, starstruck by seeing uh, a female Avenger that I fancied for years and then realised that I was dressed as Boris Johnson and babbled on about liking her in skin-tight lycra. Um, you know, so it, it, it was it was quite uh, an, an evening and a uh, very mixed bag. Uh, and what's 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 been the weirdest thing that you've been asked to do as Boris Johnson? Um, I was I was asked to go up to Blackpool and, and go to a, a party just after the election um, where Boris had got in, and um, I was brought in and um, I was invited to go there from between ten and midnight. And by the time I got there, everyone was completely drunk. I walked into the room, I got a standing ovation from everybody, and the majority of people spoke to me all night as if I was Boris Johnson, asking me about policy and saying how proud they were that I'd got in. And it was a very surreal night. And then ended up on an, they had a bucking bronco in the garden. It was snowing and they wouldn't let me off the bucking bronco until I'd done about four repetitions of it. So there was as Boris riding this bucking bronco. I mean, I mean, it just proves Boris can ride through anything, you know, as, as he's proving right. He's proving right now. He can ride through a bucking bronco. He can ride through Partygate, you know. Uh, yes, um, yes. Uh, well, that, sound, that sounds very good. Well, we'll come, we'll come back to you on your, um, your, uh, uh, your history of, of being uh, Boris Johnson. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's turn our attention now to... Um, let's go to Donald Trump, shall we? Not a sentence that I've... I've often said, Donald Trump, Guy Rose, you've got the suit on, you've got the hat on. Um, uh, <laughs> do you? Uh, good morning, Donald Trump. Morning, morning, there, Lewis. Morning. Good to see you. Good to see you. By the way, this is this is fake news. You know, I'm not having it. This is fake news. Uh, Just so, as long as we got that established. Yeah? I'm glad we've got that established. So, um, uh, where have you been in demand as a Donald Trump lookalike? Well, the strange—I'll revert to my normal dulcet tones. Uh, <laughs> the strange, strange thing, probably sound more like Donald Trump like this than ever. The strange thing is that the the first, the very first Donald Trump one I did, and one of the most recent, have both been in Germany. I had to go to Berlin for the first and Leipzig for the for the, for the last one. But in in Berlin, um, I went strangely just about two weeks before the presidential election. So Trump hadn't been elected. And I had to do a scene. This was a strange, this was probably the strangest thing I've ever had to do. I had to do a scene with Barack, in bed with Barack Obama at the White House. And I must say, you know, they say Germans don't have a sense of humor, but it was a great, a great setup because the idea was that Barack Obama was in bed in the White House just before the, uh, the the takeover, and he wakes up in the morning expecting to find Michelle next to him, and who does he see but uh, Donald Trump in bed with him? 
And the idea is that it, it's a commercial for a removal company. And the removal company have moved Donald in too soon. So in Very the, good. Seen, luckily, I speak a bit of German. Go ahead with English and German. And then do the same scene with uh, an actress playing, playing um, Hillary Clinton, uh, again in English and German. And I said to this actress afterwards, I said, because it's two weeks off from the election, I said, you are going to get so much work as Hillary through this. And, of course, much to everybody's amazement, uh, Hillary didn't win. And uh, so, I didn't think she did. The, 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 uh, looking at you, Guy, you, with the hat on and the hair and the pulling the face, I mean, did you do you look like Donald... How did you end up as a Donald Trump lookalike even before he became uh, president then? Is it, is, well, was there I'll, a lot of work I'll, that before? I'll tell or you, it's a strange, strange story. I used to do hundreds of Bill Clinton lookalikes. You uh, did? I did. And when, when the election came up with Hillary in line to be president, I said to the agent, I said, look, everybody knows Hillary Clinton's going to win this election. Uh, you'll be wanting Bill to go round with your Hillary Clinton lookalike. I said, um, uh, and and they said, yeah, they 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 registered that. And then just ten minutes later, they rang back and said, look, I know this is a silly question, but could you do Donald Trump instead? And I said, well, give me one. I'll work on it. The crucial thing is to curl the lower lower lip, of course. I don't. Yeah, you know, anybody, you, you could look like Trump. If you curled your lower lip, you know, you'd look like Trump, you see. It was quite easy. Or the lower lip out like that. Um, but anyway, so they said, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll send you to Germany for that. So that's how it came about. That's how it all started. That's how it all started. OK, let's come, let's come back to British politics now. Um, let's, uh, we've done current Prime Minister uh, Boris Johnson. Let's do uh, his immediate predecessor, Theresa May. Anne Gray. Theresa May look alike. Good yes. morning to you. Nice to see you've got the grey hair, you've got the pearls on and the jacket. Um, when did you start work as a Theresa May look alike? How did that come about? It came about shortly after she'd become Prime Minister and there was a short piece in the in the Sunday Times stating that the agency had eight David Camerons on their books but no Theresa Mays. So I was persuaded by my husband and daughter to send in a photo and that, that was it. So I've worked while she was prime minister. Um, and what 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 do you think goes through the mind of someone who says, "I tell you what, this party could really do with that that party animal uh, that is <laughs> Theresa May." <laughs> well, I haven't done parties. Um, obviously, <laughs> I'm not a party person. You know, things would be different in politics if I was still prime minister. You know, there would have been no Downing Street parties at all. Um, but I've I did, I've done um, a conference, a, a, a large training event for um, a conference, along with um, Trump and Corbyn lookalikes, which worked pretty well. And I've done a fair amount of television, um, which was quite a lot of fun. What have you done? Talk me through some of the, the strangest things that you've been hired as a Theresa May lookalike for. I, I think when there was a, um, a television sketch where they wanted Theresa to have fun. Obviously, she had a really tough time. So I had to walk out of number 10 um, looking really miserable and then leap or fall into a, a ball pit. 
which was actually a great deal of fun. I was able to shimmy to, you know, the Dancing Queen, you know, <laughs> channeling my inner Theresa May, channeling her inner Meryl Streep, um, and then get myself into a ball pit somehow, which I'd never done before. I mean, I'm sort of an elderly lady, um, and in 50s childhoods, we didn't have ball pits to play in. But it was such fun. I just sort of leapt in backwards and it was great. I don't know how I managed to do it, but um, that was a huge amount of fun. I'd recommend it. And has there been any, um, since she's stopped being Prime Minister, has there been any call uh, for you uh, since? I mean, actually, she just keep popping up herself uh, these days, sticking the uh, the kitten heels to in, in the back of Boris Johnson's head in the House of Commons. Does, does your, your bookability rise and fall depending on uh, her own profile? Um, there has been nothing um, since she stopped being prime minister <laughs> until oh. today. Until today. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad that 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 um, phone call suggestion from your 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 family um, is still paying off. Uh, uh, still paying off these days. Well, let's stick with the Theresa May era then. And I mean, I, I don't want to turn this into a competitive thing, but the, certainly on the Zoom call, the most convincing lookalike is uh, Jeremy Corbyn. Graham Dougal. Good morning. Hello, 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 yes. Uh, well, well I, we, Anne and I have actually performed together. We've uh, shared a hot tub on uh, live television twice. Uh, Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. So you so you is Jeremy Corbyn and Anne is Theresa May. What was yes. that on, Anne? That, that, was, last... that was on, on the last leg. Yes. <laughs> wow. So, um, uh, Graham. Talk me through how you became a Jeremy Corbyn lookalike. Well, I've I got a bunch of friends, about four or five of them, who went to the same school as Corbyn uh, in Shropshire. And uh, when he was up for the leadership, they were comparing notes on Facebook about uh, his suitability. So I sort of looked up this guy and I thought there's something familiar about him. And there was one photograph in particular of him making a speech. I, I, that, that's me. So, uh, I mean, about the same time as people were starting to ask uh, if I should join an agency, I, I, I did. And so did you always have the, because you've got the white hair, did you always have the beard? The, uh, yes, I always had the beard. Um, the, the only thing I've done to maintain any looks is just get my hair cut more often. Um, otherwise, and, nothing at all. And so apart from getting into a hot tub with Theresa May, what's the weirdest thing that you've been asked to do as a Jeremy Corbyn lookalike? Uh, well, <laughs> well, the, the, the last leg, leg always would seem to be coming up with different stunts for me. So there was a famous wrecking ball incident, and after that, they uh, they 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 asked the audience to come up with the next stunt for me to do. And uh, the most popular one, the one they wanted me to do, was to go to Wimbledon on Henman Hill and see if they could get a uh, an old Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, chance going but I pointed out to them for the first time I'd come up on the, the ballot and had centre court tickets for the court, men's quarterfinals <clears throat> and uh, I pointed out on the conditions for the ticket that um, you aren't, can't film at the place if you, unless you've got permission and uh, if you misbehave you can be chucked out and uh, possibly uh, not allowed back in again uh, so it went to their lawyers. They checked it out, but in the end, they 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 relented. <laughs> so instead, I uh, I did the run through the wheat field in uh, Union Jack boxer shorts instead. <laughs> wow! 
Now, just, um, uh, Graham, you, you skipped over very slightly there, the wrecking ball incident. Explain what that was. You, as Jeremy Corbyn, on the last leg, what were you doing? Uh, yes, well, this was uh, one about uh, Theresa May facing all these different uh, obstacles heading towards Brexit. And uh, for this occasion, they brought in a juggler to play Theresa May. And uh, so she starts off with one ball, then two, depending on uh, with all the different problems coming up. And then uh, finally, there's uh, and then there's Jeremy Corbyn. And I come swinging in, uh, in again in box of shots, uh, in EU <laughs> box of shots, uh, on a wrecking ball and knock her over. Uh, like um, and, uh, Marty Silas. Yeah, swinging so, in like Marty Silas. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I feel like each it's time I've spoken to one of you, that the um, the the stakes have been have been raised even even higher. We, um, uh, right, I tell you what, let's 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 bring in Tony Blair then, John <laughs> Bolly, Tony Blair lookalike. Good morning. Good morning. How did you start uh, at work as a Tony Blair lookalike? I was a performer anyway. I was I was doing a children's show, and um, while I was doing this children's show, there was a big lookalike event on the same gig. And I just got recruited. I thought it was very good. I was very lucky. It, it, it was almost the day Tony Blair got elected leader of the Labour Party. So a bit of an old hand. It was that long ago. Wow. Yeah. So what? Um, what did you? What did you get asked? I mean, I, I, without being too too, I feel like I'm being very rude in passing. Come on, if I'm being too rude, John, you look less like him now than perhaps you might have done in the past. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I'm pretty much retired now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have done quite a lot of weird things as Tony. Go on then, tell me, tell me the weirdest thing you've been asked to do as Tony Blair. Probably the weirdest thing was I was the Christmas window display in Selfridges in Oxford Street with um, a David Beckham lookalike. They had the they'd set the window up like a, a sauna, and the two of us came in, in our bath towels, wearing speedos underneath, and had a bit of a, a game of football. But the weird <laughs> thing was. It was so disruptive to the street they actually blocked the traffic and the police came and shut us down. <laughs> wow. There seems to be an awful lot of nakedness or near nakedness involved yeah. in the in the life of being a lookalike. I've done plenty of the bouncing up and down on, on a bed with a with uh wide fronts with a, a rose on and things, singing celebratory songs. I've also done going to bed with American presidents as well. I they, they did the Morecambe and Wise bit with me and George Bush. George and I had a lot of romantic affairs as a, a lookalike. <laughs> I'm really interested. Have any of you um, uh, met the person that you're a lookalike of? Um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, Graham Dougal, you have. Yes, yeah. It was the first time he was on uh, the last leg and uh, he was arriving in a tuxedo and a Bentley and in the, the, the opening sequence. And uh, I was doubling for him. Uh, so you have to shoot it all beforehand and just do the face stuff with him when he arrived. And uh, while they were shooting that in the basement, I was still waiting upstairs. And uh, an assistant came up and said, well, we'd uh, like, he'd like to meet you. Uh, I got a lovely photograph with him in the green room afterwards where we were happening to wear almost exactly the same clothes. And I always <laughs> say, yeah, I'm the one to the left of Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> Very good. Anyone else met their, their doppelgangers? Well, I nearly did. Um, uh, Andy, the, so this, the, is, this is you and Boris Johnson? Yeah, the, the A-list party that I mentioned earlier, um, he apparently was there before I was there, and when he heard that uh, a lookalike was coming, he made a swift exit. So ah. I think it was more of a tag team job that day. 
not not the first time that he's scarpered from a party. Uh, you you've never met Theresa May, then, Anne? No, I haven't. No. And just what about? Um, I wonder how you feel about the person that you're sending. I mean, in the fact that you look like someone that has no no connection to your politics, do you like the person that you're um, uh, you're pretending to be, Guy? First of all, I mean, are you? <laughs> do you like Donald Trump? Well, like anybody else, you know, we know know of his his failings and his, and his unfortunate statement and all this in the past. But I think we have to recognise that he did have a lot of very good part and foreign policy for instance he was much more severe than sleepy joe is today you know he he was dealing with putin and xinjiang and all all the rest of them in a much more effective sort of way but uh, i never i never met him but i was always hoping that if anything unfortunate ever happened to him if an assassin got in that I might get a call from the White House. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you could just take over. You could just take over. Um, uh, what about you, uh, Anne? Anne? Did, did you have any trouble pretending to be Theresa May? I have a certain amount of empathy for her. Yeah. Um, I think she's she was very head girlish and I'm quite a similar sort of person, to be honest. <laughs> um, I'm a retired teacher and this is my real hair by the way um we've always had throughout when i've seen photos of her as a student her hair was our hair was similar then and it's been similar throughout the years which is it's that's not coincidence i suppose um, you're similar ages fashions and all that sort of thing i'm a little bit older than she is yeah um but yes i mean i and i don't have her clothes budget sadly so <laughs> So much turmoil at the moment. I think we need a grown up in the house, and she's the one. I, I can't. I'm, I'm surprised, frankly, that the uh, last leg haven't been on and got had you sort of wrestling with uh, with a with a Boris Johnson lookalike. What about you, um, uh, John? Is the Tony Blair lookalike? I mean, clearly Tony Blair has been up and down in popularity. Is that what your your does that affect your own politics? Yes, well, to be honest, like a lot of people, we all had massive hopes for Tony when he first got in. So I was on the wave of all of that as well. But it was the it's the whole war business. I mean, you're not going to like somebody who get puts you out of work for um, three years because <laughs> no one would no one would book me while it was the toxic Iraq war. But you have to. I've I've done a lot of quite complex performances as him, playing him in plays and things like that, and I've studied him. What you can't deny, he was an absolute genius. He could play the crowd. He could play any audience. And anyone I've met who knew him says, I only had to speak to him for a minute or two, and it was like I was the only person. And he really cared about what I wanted to say. And then, of course, he was gone on to the next person. So admiration, probably, more than anything. Terrific, terrific stuff. I'll tell you what, before you all go, I'm going to get you all to just introduce yourselves as your characters again, just because it's... It's amusing me, if nothing else. Uh, so let's. Uh, I'll, I'll say goodbye then. First of all, to uh, to Donald Trump. Well, well, bye everybody. It's been good to, to speak to you. And do remember the crucial thing: this is fake news. Bye. <laughs> That's uh, Donald Trump there. Goodbye to Theresa May. Goodbye, Matt. And I am still strong and stable. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, goodbye to uh, Boris Johnson. Uh, no, you, you're not getting rid of me quite yet. You know, I'm, I'm hanging on there, hanging in. <laughs> very good. Goodbye to Tony Blair. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, but it's not goodbye from me either, because one day I'll be back.
A terrified prospect. And finally, goodbye to Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you very much. And your support is much appreciated. And that's all we've got time for on the podcast this week. You can obviously read all about what we've been discussing online at thetimes.co.uk. Just sign up, get yourself a subscription at thetimes.co.uk forward slash timesredbox. And if you want to come on and play our quiz, can you get to number 10? Just email studio at times.radio and throughout February, I'll give you a pair of tickets to my stand-up tour if you come on. That's studio at times.radio. But for now, thank you for listening. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.